The most important factor that, and we see it now because the FDA has made that change, is the calorie content. And the serving size isn't based on their recommendations. It's based on the recommendation for the manufacturer, I think is where it comes down to. I'd have to double check that. But they're not saying you have to eat half a cup of rice. Thank you. Yes. The FDA is not saying that's what you have to do. It's not Mm -hmm. saying you have to eat 22 chips. That is not what they're saying. They're just saying based on this particular product, this recipe, whatever, there's this serving and this many in this bag or this product, right? So a lot of the time people assume that they have to eat that serving. Yeah. But that's not true. Portion sizes are individualized. Like I'm not eating a half cup of rice. I need, I'm going to need double or triple that amount Mm -hmm. for sure. Exactly. Using it as a reference, not an absolute. Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no bullshit health and fitness podcast. Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place. Let's Let's go. If you'd like to support us in the podcast, join our Patreon where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to over 100-plus low-calorie, high-protein, family-friendly meals. These are all designed by a professional chef who is certified in nutrition. These recipes are already in my fitness pal for easy fucking tracking. New recipes are also added each week. We believe that fitness is for everyone. So this is our way of getting you started on your health and fitness journey at a price most everyone can afford. So what the fuck are you waiting for? We'll see you in the Patreon. Brandy. Miss Beth, how are you? Hi, Brandy. How are you, Brandy? I'm good. I'm good. Getting getting by today. Getting by. That's how I feel. Getting by. Everything's so great, right? But I am like in the fucking funk of winter right now. Yeah, like I've been kind of like seeing that uh, on your yeah. on your Instagram and your TikTok. Hey, listen, it's like four degrees today, so I'm living my best life. But normally it's like minus 20 degrees Celsius here. Mm. So I get it. I hear you. Yeah, it warmed up here in Ohio a little bit. These last few days, I was able to get outside and get some hiking in, oh, nice. which, which was yeah. really nice. Like it just invigorates the soul when you're able to get out in the oh, sunshine yeah. like that. Yeah, that's the thing. When you don't have that, it's it's... Uh, it's a downer. I I, I live outdoors usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seasonal depression. It's no joke. It's not. And it could be mixed with menopause. Honestly, like I'm thinking because I'm like been tired, more tired than normal. I'm like, this is just not me. I'm feeling like super in a funk. I'm like, is it SAD? Is it menopause? Like what the fuck is going on? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you know, I can honestly say like, we can even have that discussion. Like I've been there and I know that for me, I think it's a real thing. I really do. Like a lot of those symptoms go unnoticed. And I think that that's part of it too, for, for the females, like our 45 year old pluses, like, I mean, obviously as, as young as 35, but I felt it, especially I felt it a little bit more over COVID than I did any other time. But that's when I had an aha moment of like, there's something not going right with me. And I even told my husband, I'm like, I am not the same person because mm-hmm. for me to not want to go to the gym, that's unheard of. Yeah. That's, that's how I that's feel. Something I, yeah. And then I, I was remembering what Amanda Thebe was talking about. And I was like, you know, when she was mentioning like not having the drive, like being really more tired, I was like, Oh, I, I, I don't understand that. And then like literally you, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as you talked about it, a, a week happened. after we had that conversation with her, it was like, I'm struggling. Beth, do you supplement with vitamin D by any chance? I take omega threes, but I don't 
really take a vitamin D supplement. I really should though. That's one thing that I'm actually starting personally. Mm. So I was chatting about some, I, I was getting some blood blood work done and things like that. And I was reviewing mm-hmm. my my results with our team registered dietitian, Kristen. And she asked me straight out, she's like, uh, are you supplementing with vitamin D? I said, no, uh, to be honest, I didn't think I needed it because of as, as active as I am and getting it in my diet and, and my lifestyle. She's like, yeah, but here in Ohio, you're probably going to be deficient, especially this time of year. So I'm going to be starting a supplementation routine for that, for sure. She actually encouraged me to get my vitamin D levels checked too. Yeah. I've been supplementing with vitamin D probably since 20, I want to say about 2016, because after my, my contest prep and everything else, like when I was pretty low in body fat and everything else, I wasn't feeling great either. But my consideration at that time was bone health, just because I hadn't got my period back because I suffered hypothalamic amenorrhea. And um, I was dosing like 8,000 units because in Canada here, we don't get much sunlight anyways in the winter, right? Um, so I've been, I think I've been supplementing probably since then. And now I'm kind of like down to like a one to 2000 range now because I've, I'm on HRT and all these other things happening. But at the end of the day, like I definitely believe in it too, uh, Matt. I think it's very beneficial, 100%. Yeah. Love that. Love that. It's almost like a hidden, like a hormone in a way. And it's, it is as powerful mm-hmm. as it is mm-hmm. yeah. doing a lot of research into more vitamin D stuff. Yeah. It affects a lot of things we never even would think about. Yeah. I was deficient after I had my son and I was breastfeeding. Mm. I had to be put on prescription vitamin D. I was so low. I was having so many different weird things happen and they tested me like, oh my God. <laughs> really? Hey. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for anyone, for anyone listening, check your vitamin D, <laughs> get your vitamin D. <laughs> so on that note, I will be leaving after this and going to get some vitamin D. There we go. So thank you guys. <laughs> so this is Brandy. Brandy has an online coaching business like me and Matt. And I met Brandy through HMCC and Matt actually took the HMCC course last semester, I believe. Yep. Last semester. And one of the coaches on our team went through it as well the, the, at the same time. Yeah. Brandy, when I made that video about the fiber, uh, I took yeah. it down. I took that video down because too many people were kind of, I think I told you, Brandy, we're going like a little crazy with the information. Mm-hmm. That, I could, that would never happen online, Beth. Um, what are you talking about? I mean, it was to the point where I was like, okay, this, this is not helping anybody. This video yeah. It's really more of a fucking hindrance because people overcomplicate everything. They do. They really do take things too far. The fiber in the apple is wrong on my fitness pal. I'm like, it's a fucking apple. <laughs> like, what do you worry? It's not a carb like wrap that someone is labeling. Okay, just relax. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that what people don't understand about labels, and I, I guess I can give you a little bit of background, and I'm going to make sure and, and say this and preface this. I am not a food scientist, mm-hmm. nor am I a registered dietitian. However, I've been privileged here to work with food scientists at a local uh, food processing plant here in my, in my city, as well as like way back in the day, Beth, I think I kind of, kind of alluded to this. I started in the business of supplementation. So for me, I understood what it meant to have food labels and all the requirements like years ago. And things are now accelerated because I believe right during COVID health Canada, the FDA had some new labeling requirements and it gave the, the companies a little bit more time to update them. But at the end of the day, I I've been on that side of like what that looks like. And people do really overcomplicate things. But the other thing is, is that what you see on a label is not like somebody taking this product to a science elaborate today to be analyzed. This is on the onus of the manufacturers and the individual ingredient companies to make sure that database is up to date with the FDA. And I'll tell you this right now, 
some companies don't do that. Mm-hmm. You could have labels and I'm pretty sure po- probably both of you have experienced this where you go to scan something into my fitness pal or whatever. And the label doesn't even match the UPC code. Why? Because somebody has taken ownership of that and hasn't changed or updated it. Right. right. So at the end of the day, people overcomplicate this, but I tell you this right now, um, I've been on that side where it's just like, this is what you see. Just, I think for most people, they have to just really pay attention to what's going into the app ask questions, get curious, because if I'm sorry, if you're putting in an apple or tracking something and it's missing a carbohydrate, and let's be honest, you should know by now if it's a carb or not, then you might want to ask yourself the question of like, is this tracking correctly? You know, like we're at the mercy of a database that's built by humans, AI, whatever, right? So there's going to be errors, right? And I do know, and it might be different down in the States, but I know for a long time, updates weren't being done properly and people are putting in a ton of contributed items. So Beth, you could choose a product in my fitness pal. And I don't know if it's a blue check mark now or whatever the hell happens. It's a, some type of a verification symbol yeah. for whether it's from the database or crowdsourced or not. That's right. right. So if it's not there and you're using somebody else's contributed item, like I know there's lots of companies out there. Even Beth, I think you said all your recipes are in my fitness pal. Those may not be verified by an outsourced company. Therefore, right. you're taking a chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't put the fiber in. Maybe they didn't even put the carbs in because people are lazy. They're lazy as fuck. So they'll put the calories in and miss every fucking macro. So mm-hmm. I mean, think people just over they just they just overanalyze or they just don't actually ask the right questions. Is this true? Is this is this correct? That kind of thing. So yeah, it's frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, like, tell us your story, like how you got into coaching. And then you said you started with supplements. Give us a little background story of Brandy. I've been here a long time. It's crazy. I'm an OG. I'm pretty sure I'm one of the lucky ones that have been online for quite some time and still here. So I'm proud of that. I don't need a million followers to, you know, even verify that. I I know I've been here for a long time. So to kind of like date myself, I started as a personal trainer back in the day. So i been able to be in that one-on-one position of, you know, that hands-on tangible type of um, atmosphere. I'm known as a personal trainer. It's my, it's my OG. I was the fat kid in the playground. And so, you know, one day I was, you know, I I lost all my weight and I promised myself I'd never want to be in that position again. And I got really interested in, in training and stuff like that. In um, my first couple of years of personal training, I got really interested into bodybuilding. I had a lot of well, I didn't recognize it then, but I now know I probably had a ton of uh, body image issues, but because I was overweight, I'm thinking like, this is probably the answer to seeing what's underneath there. Right. Cause I, I was in the gym for a couple of years and I never really thought I was progressing with anything. So I got really interested into the bodybuilding world and I continued to, to train. I competed. That's what started my deep rabbit hole. I think with my relationship with food and even my relationship with body and specifically exercise, probably more than anything else. Took some years off having kids and that kind of thing. Cause the year I was actually going to compete and uh, go back to competition in 2001, I was pregnant with my daughter. And so I just took the time off to be a mom. And then fast forward a few years later, I got back into training back on the floor. But before all of that happened, I was in supplements. I was with a family-owned business where we kind of like were the the subcontractor for 
private brand. So I was never the person who created protein powder, but we would label it and put it, you know, mm. into a back of a pickup truck type of scenario and ship it off for these people. So I was really involved in the food side of things, like the nutraceutical side of things, like herbs and, and naturals way back when I was like 18, 19 years old. I was the OG of creatine. I'd like to own that. <laughs> OG of creatine. <laughs> When creatine first came out, I'm like, what is this magic white powder? Right. Mm-hmm. And the only form was creatine monohydrate back then. Like there was no other freaking forms and we never had to worry about it. But I remember back in the day, um, my husband back then, boyfriend, uh, started taking it and everything else too. And it was really, really a phenomenal thing back then. So, but fast forward to 2009, back in the floor training. And then I basically got, you know, uh, my mom had passed away in 2011. I think my grieving process was training. I promised myself I'd get back on stage, took myself out of retirement from competing because I'd already competed a couple of times before that. Competed from 2011 straight through to 2014 and realized enough is enough. Like I was, I will use my own words. I felt broken. I was not in a good place uh, with food and all that. And I really wasn't letting anybody know that. I was still the trainer on the floor, you know, tough as nails, yeah, you know, get shit done. Fuck, didn't tell anybody what I was going through. That that mind, I, I legitimately, and I'm appreciating the fact that I can swear on this podcast. It was a mind fuck. It really was uh, to be training people and telling them what I thought was the best thing for them, while I'm still messed up in my own brain about what I should be doing. But that's when I made that transition. I was on the floor and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go all in and just go online. And I didn't even know what it meant. I was just so busy with being on the floor, and I lost my mojo for training because I was just tired of it because of bodybuilding. It just really took me out of that. And I just wanted to help more people with nutrition because I knew I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like, that's how I wrote my story. And then I've been here pretty much online. I want it and I never get the dates right. So probably people have listened to different podcasts and they're like, Brian, you can never get your days right. That's because I'm perimenopausal and brain fog. <laughs> but I think I went online about 2012, like all in, like mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it meant. There wasn't even really online coaching. I mean, very, maybe Lane Norton was doing it and not very many other people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I still mingled a little bit because I was a contest prep uh, coach as well. And so I mingled a little bit till 2014 with clients in person and in my studio here at my home. And then that was it. I just kind of just said, I'm done with the training aspect of things for now. I just wanted to focus on nutrition. And then I just kind of like, there's more to it than just macros. And that's where I just kind of like developed into the mindset, the habits, behaviors, relationship with food. And that's why I feel I'm an amazing coach because I just kind of take, I've taken everything that I've seen my own experience, plus hundreds and hundreds of clients and said to myself, there's, there's more to this than just macros, which is why I, I often preach it. So that's it. That's pretty much I love my story. That. It's not just macros because it, it, it really isn't. Macros are right. only one part of the equation and yeah. a very small part of the equation too, because you know, it's what the macros are doing for your body. And then we have our micros and our fiber and everything like that, which those things are always overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, and, and that's just really what's brought me here is, is just trying to help, you know, I work with mostly with women, but I just feel like it's just, I use the hashtag figure your shit out. And I think there's just so much to that, that it's just like, you can talk about like, Oh, I have a shitty relationship with food, but maybe you don't even understand what that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we overcomplicate the things like you, you were saying, Beth is like, you look at a food label and people don't even know what they're looking at anymore. Like yeah. they actually don't because there's too much misinformation being thrown at them that it's just so overwhelming to even be like, I think this is a carbohydrate 
and I, I'm, I'm afraid of it. Like that's how I feel about it. Right. But they actually don't know because they've just been told this or they've right. read some freaking article, some marketing campaign that says carbs are bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like for me, it's just really about trying to help people figure their shit out when it comes to all of that. Love that. Yeah. I am going to touch on a point where you're just saying that people don't even know how to read a label. Could you explain if you were to have like explain it to my nine-year-olds or he's not nine, if you're to explain it to my 11-year-old son, right? <laughs> There's that brain fog. There it is. Okay, everyone. <laughs> he's 11. He's not nine. Jesus. How to actually read a label. You know, here's my thing about labels. And I actually just had this conversation before we got on this podcast with a brand new client because she she said to me, she's like, I'm scared to death to track macros Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's too hard. And so I'm like, what, what is the difficulty? Like, what are you, what are you experiencing? And she's like, well, I don't know what a serving size is. And when the app asked you like to put that value in, what does that look like? And so for me, it's just like, how about we use both tools? We have a label. And then we have a tracking app. And I think that what people have to understand is that the label itself, like I said before, this is something that is mandated by the FDA. So even in Canada, we're regulated by the FDA. And these label requirements, specifically what you see, like with the serving size and stuff like that, that is absolutely a requirement. And they pretty, they should be pretty accurate. But there are some things that the FDA don't regulate, you know, mm-hmm. like things like the the fiber, like the net carb thing. That's a made up fucking term that it really is. Needs have done, is it right? really? Yeah, because I don't know if anybody sees it, but you might come across a label that says net carbs, but most won't. It'll mm-hmm. just say specifically carbohydrates and then fiber. But for the for the person who really doesn't understand it, I would just start with asking the question of like, what am I eating? What are the ingredients? What is this specifically? And then start to break down the label, even from the top to the bottom. The most important factor that, and we see it now because the FDA has made that change, is the calorie content. And the serving size isn't based on their recommendations. It's based on the recommendation for the manufacturer, I think is where it comes down to. I'd have to double check that. But they're not saying you have to eat half a cup of rice. Thank you. Yes. The FDA is not saying that's what you have to do. It's not Mm -hmm. saying you have to eat 22 chips. That is not what they're saying. They're just saying based on this particular product, this recipe, whatever, there's this serving and this many in this bag or this product, right? So a lot of the time people assume that they have to eat that serving. Yeah. But that's not true. Portion sizes are individualized. Like I'm not eating a half cup of rice. I need, I'm going to need double or triple that amount Mm -hmm. for sure. Exactly. Using it as a reference, not an absolute. Right. So I think it's just important to get yourself familiar with what the calorie content is of that particular serving size. Ask yourself the question of like, okay, so if I made half a cup of rice, is that really what I'm going to eat? Number one. And number two is like, what is in this product? So the list of ingredients, like the number one ingredient is going to be the most. And then it, and, and then it goes down. Um, the other thing is, is that when you look at the uh, nutrition facts, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a product that has fats, carbohydrates, protein? Those are there. I think that people get overwhelmed with, oh, look at the vitamin D content, or is this a source of vitamin A? Let's, let's not look at that yet. How about like the fundamentals? And I think that the nutrition label itself is overcomplicated because people read every single line versus what should matter for them in that time. Right. Yeah. Because as you become more equipped 
more skilled, you're going to start to understand what each line actually means, the percentage of daily values, all those kind of things. And again, these are references that you can actually look up. The FDA has a site that goes through the exact thing. And the nice thing about the FDA is that they actually give you the breakdown of what's current. Right. And so like they had a huge, and I don't know what the date is, but I know in Canada, they had a huge overhaul, which was years in the making. Like it had been years since they'd updated uh, nutrition facts. And yet there, you could buy a product that's probably had the same label on it for 10 years. As the recipe has been evolving, the food's been evolving and and everything. Or like, uh, I think the recent um, updates, they had to have potassium listed. And so like, it has to be something that's mandated and it's consistent. So the FDA has certain things that are completely 100% regulated. And then there's things like the net carb, which isn't right. So um, I think the thing to be aware of is not just nutrition facts is to understand that there are health claims and stuff like that, that are also on labels. And this is really to be aware of that. Something like, I'll give you an example of like something like fat free or no added sugars or something like that doesn't equate to zero calories, mm-hmm. but I think people will see that and just assume that it's good for them or that whatever. Better. So I think yep. it's understanding how to even look at the health claims and what can and cannot be said. And again, like that can all be found again. I'm not a food scientist, but I do know that even for myself, I always refer back to health Canada and or the regulating bodies for those specific labels, because you might have a marketing company that says, I can say that, but is that true? They do try to claim things, but the FDA doesn't necessarily approve it. And you can see that on the label. Mm-hmm. Not, the statement has not been approved by the FDA or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something where you should, again, I really don't love absolutes. So like when you mm-hmm. see something you know that says or guarantees something, again, I would question that, including just looking at labels, like read the fine print, go yeah. through it all. And basically, like I said, like, it's difficult for me to say, this is what I would say to an individual, because I do believe it's based on their own intelligence and, or their, you know, how we say training age, it's their nutrition age, their awareness age of health and wellness, you know? And so like for us as coaches, I think it's our job to educate them. Right. So like, I just really think that it just starts with the basic foundation of just like, okay, what are you looking for on that label? What are you actually eating? And kind of get curious about that. So before we get into what we're looking for, like, I would like to touch on the net carbs thing really quickly again, because that's, like you said, bullshit. And that term, I feel like started showing up right around the time that keto started becoming popularized, because that's what keto cares about. Like keto's like, oh, net carbs is what matters. Net carbs is what matters, right? Because they're trying to manipulate their their carbohydrate intake. So they're just acting like those other carbs don't exist, even though there's, because it's being paired with fiber and things like that. Um, which to me, I kind of look at net carbs as the same way as we look at the word toning. We know that's a marketing term and you can't actually tone a muscle or tone fat, but it's, it's just a made up term catered to selling products. Yeah, I would say 100% of that is a marketing campaign. I realized it. So I'm going to date myself again. So again, when I came online, the biggest bar out there was Quest. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to call them out because I don't want anybody to get a lawsuit here. But I know that the labeling didn't make sense for me when I was starting to understand how to track. So back then, I wasn't a tracker. I was like a meal plan person with my coach. And what I was doing, we didn't do macros. We were just eat this follow this meal plan, you're good to go. But when I started getting curious after I was starting to bring food back into my life, one of the bars that I really did like at the time, because it was one of the best tasting out there for a very, very long time, in my opinion, I started looking at the label. I'm like, the calories don't match what 
Like, you know what, for, for me, and then I would say net carbs. I'm like, what does this all mean? Mm-hmm. So even back then I start to realize I'm like, oh, so the total grams minus the fiber, that's what they're talking about. Oh, they're not calculating total carbs. They're doing that quote unquote net carb. So the calories would never equate in your MyFitnessPal or any other tracking app because there are some, again, contributed items or not. They would scan in the barcode and it would equate or it wouldn't. And like, I know the system I use right now um, when I'm working with clients, it pulls the data from my fitness pal, but it calculates in absolutes. It's not rounding. It's not doing net carbs. It's doing total carbs. And so like, even my clients to this day still say like, there's labeling problems because my numbers aren't adding up. And why is this so? And I'm like, oh, it's probably because it's calculating net carbs, right? Or they're taking the, well, unless um, I guess Matt, what I could help you break down is like, if I understand correctly, and I, I could be wrong, so please don't quote me on this, but I believe it's like you take your total carbs and you're taking out your fiber, but also sugar alcohols because they have a small calorie value as well. That's my understanding as well. Yeah, but there's insoluble th- uh, and there's soluble fiber and insoluble has roughly zero calories, right? Whereas a soluble fiber will have about two. So like, like to take both of those out and you know, clump it as like, oh, let's take all fiber out isn't right because there's still calories. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that's just, it's, it's the wrong approach. And I think that that's part of the problem is that people are just like, again, they're hoping and praying that, okay, well, if I take this out, it's just going to, you know, take away some of these calories, but you're still eating the calories. They're still there. And that's what my video was about to create awareness around the fiber. But then people are like, well, they have to say if there's soluble fiber in there. So there's only insoluble fiber. So you're wrong, Beth, is basically yeah, well, what we're... I think in the UK, I think they do distinguish between soluble or insoluble, but I don't think here in the United States they, they have don't. to. They don't. Yeah. And I actually double checked that. Some do. Some yeah. companies say this is soluble and then insoluble but a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, from what I understand, FDA doesn't require that breakdown. Mm. And that's the difference, right? right so like, right. if you want it regulated, so here's the problem that I have with it is that you can subtract it all you want, but maybe this company doesn't. There needs to be a standard. There's right. no standardized, right? So like, that's where it makes it difficult for us as coaches to be like, yeah, that's right. Nope, they're wrong. Nope, they're right. So like to, to honestly, this is why I think, and we, and I've heard it even from the experts, um, like, Lane and, and even Ben and all that is like, just let's keep it into the carb category because there is a value there. Mm-hmm. It may not be four calories per gram, but it could be if there's both sugar alcohols and right. soluble fiber. You don't know for sure. So it's, you don't know for sure. Yeah. So, so count for it, account for it is what, is what, is what we're saying. But like, why are we, why are we spending the time to fucking micromanage this shit? I know. Agreed. Right? Beth and I are so big on, now focusing on the majors when or the minors when this is really one of those things that's a minor detail but it's something that people should know and like we don't want them stressing about it like we're not trying to scare people like all your food labels are lying to you that's not what we're saying like we're just trying to raise awareness to these things and and how some of these things can be inaccurate and of course how that applies then to their own personal life right like especially with the calories on a label, like here in the States, at least it could be what plus or minus 20%. Now that's not to say all food is, I think the more whole foods you have, those inaccuracies aren't really going to be there. But when you're talking about the highly processed foods, then of course, I think that's where that variance really comes into play. And let's be honest. Okay. So you've got your food label. You've got, let's say, let's use a pita bread for an example. You've got a Mm -hmm. pita bread and the label might say 
you know, one pita, but in brackets, it says 60 grams. Mm, Yep. Yep. Okay. So here's the thing. I would argue that unless you're willing to put that pita on that weight Mm -hmm. or on the scale, you're going to track it as one, but how, what happens when it's 55 grams or if it's a 65 gram pita, Mm -hmm. because as much as these companies try to keep things similar, I have been that coach and I've recorded this for a client where I'm like, I want you to pay attention. This tortilla or this pita is 55. This one's 52. This one's, you know, and so there's going to be a variance in calories. So rather than trying to micromanage it, just accept the fact there's going to be a 20% value difference, maybe plus or minus. Like the law of averages. Yeah. yeah, It's never going to be a hundred percent, you know, like you might break even and don't overcomplicate things. Right. But that can be like, if you really want to dive into the, you know, the weeds of things, weigh every piece of bread, weigh every freaking checks piece of cereal that you're putting on. That, Which I've you know? done that. I mean, when I first started macro tracking and taking the IIFYM approach, it all came down to macros, right? So I probably weighed my food every day, almost every meal, unless I was eating out for maybe two years straight. Like now I never want to track a, a carb or anything again, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but that built a very good foundation and it really raised my awareness levels, which is why we're so such big advocates for tracking and at least weighing your food in some capacity, maybe not some foods, like we don't, we're not gonna be weighing our fruits and vegetables and things like that. I hope not, but with carbs and fats and protein. Well, here's sure. the thing, Matt. So mm-hmm. you bring that up. So I actually had a client who's like, I, she's like, I eat an apple every day. And I'm like, cool. So she's like, how do I track that? I'm like, just pick a medium apple, apple. Cause the average apple is probably a medium size, but she's like, mm-hmm. white. Well, I, I can't remember what the name is, but they're huge. I think Honeycrisp, but yeah. Honeycrisp, that's my, the, the goat right there. That's like the best fucking apple ever. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> they're like a 80 to hundred calories. Right. So if you're eating one apple a day, that's fucking 700 calories. You're not accounting for. Right. So I'm just like, how about you pay? Like, let's, let's take a looky loop because I said, you can track it if you want, but if you have an absolute body composition goal. And this coming from me as the dial it in as deep as you can go contest prep type of person. Yeah. yeah, You better weigh that shit because there is a, there's going to be a variable, but in the big picture of the gen pub Mm -hmm. for lifestyle clients, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even the banana, a banana can vary too. Like get little tiny bananas. Large banana versus a small banana, probably 150 calorie difference. But again, but the mentality is it's a fruit and vegetable has no calories, especially veggies. But I'm like, Actually, they do. They're right. carbohydrates. So to be clear, I want to, I want to tell people I'm saying I, I, I personally don't want you worrying about weighing those things, but still track them because they right. still have yes, calories yes, like you said. Yeah. So yeah. tracking and weighing are different things. Exactly, Matt. But that's the mentality that I see is like, cause that comes off of like the whole, like if I were to jump into the keto bandwagon of like vegetables or even like, I think it's Weight Watchers. Free foods. Free foods. Free foods. Free like, foods got a fucking wait watcher. Wait like, I'm not paying anything for this. How is this fucking free? It has energy. Right. So <laughs> I'm just like, they have calories. But again, it's kind of like going back even to the labeling. It's like when something says it's fat free, doesn't mean it's calorie free. Or geez, Beth, I want to th- I think you did a post about whole 30 or something like that. And I'm I had me thinking about like how people assume eliminating processed foods is the best route to their health. And I'm like, okay, but you can do that. You eliminate calories, but you do realize an avocado, nuts and seeds, they all carry calories and abundance a lot of, them. Yeah. of calories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so like, I, it just, I don't know, like it, to me, it's just, we overcomplicate things yes. mm-hmm. um, when there's just so many things being said and it's marketing and all this, where it is really like Matt said, like, it's really, when you look at gen pop, it is really basic shit 
that gets that needle moving and not to overcomplicate the process or anything that's going on there because it really does have you, you get paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, net carbs, carbs, what am I supposed to be doing? Or this label says it has like six grams of protein, but you know, when I'm tracking it, it says seven, you know, well, maybe it rounded, but it's still too much to comprehend because there's too many things being thrown at us. Right. But yeah, I think it's just, I think you should take both tracking and the label, do a comparison and get curious about what you see. What's, what's the information that you're getting, especially in the beginning. And, you know, I made a video about the true fruit chocolate covered blueberries. They're frozen. Um, and it said, you know, 28 grams, um, Wade is a serving or it said like 10 to 12 pieces, right? Well, right. the serving was actually four to five pieces or it was like four pieces for 28 grams. And everyone's like, Holy the label's so lying. Like, I'm like, double the amount was what they were saying. Yeah. yeah. But also people have to understand that don't go by like, if it says 12 chips, you have to go by the weight of grams and not the amount they're saying, or about 12 chips or about 10 to 12 pieces. It's like, no, yeah. go buy the, the grams, Who eats the About weight. 10 pieces of chips. Right. <laughs> um, but that could be if someone's eating 10 to 12 pieces every single day, that's an extra yes. 90, 100 calories a day of the true fruit chocolate covered blueberries easily can take you over. So it's like things like that, um, especially in the beginning when you're, or if you don't have a lot of weight to lose, like if someone like me, that yeah, just wanted to point. lower my body fat. I have to be more specific because I have a more aesthetic goal to get lower body fat rather than I don't need to lose 20 pounds or 40 pounds. So I have to be more specific in that area. But like you said, you know, if you're gen pop and you have a lot of weight to lose, it's you can't get lost in the nitty gritty, but you still yes. need to be, become aware. Because you know what? You're laying that foundation to learn and understand. You build that skill. And mm-hmm. now you are in a place when you want to get super lean, you have the tools and you also likely have a mindset, a better relationship and everything with food Mm -hmm. to understand that, okay, this is what it's going to take. This is what I have to do a little bit better in order to reach that aesthetic. Right. And like, that is the difference. But I think what often gets blurred is that, and it's because of social media, in my opinion, is that this look is what the general public wants, but that is not true. I've had people hire me and tell me that they didn't like how lean I was, that that is not why they hired me. They hired me for my expertise, but they did never, they never want to get lean and see muscle mass. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Yeah. Right. But on the flip side of things, people come to me and say, that's how I want to look because that's health. And I'm like, should we go down this rabbit hole? Seriously? Like you think that I was healthy at that level? No. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that actually. I would love mm-hmm. to hear, you know, from your experience being a bodybuilder and um having that like body dysmorphia. I guess I for me, like if I don't think I would ever do a bodybuilding show because I know if I got that lean and I've been close, that it's very hard to get to a normal place where I am right now. And I still look at that Beth in 2020 that did RP that was absolutely ripped and was like 13% body fat. That is absolutely something that you can't sustain. I'd love to hear your story about that. So for me, my first competition, I hired some at the time, what was considered in our area, some of the best bodybuilding coaches, you know, this side of Western Canada, I guess. And I just looked at other people and just thought, wow, this is amazing. Cause I'd been in the gym a couple of years already. And I'm like, I don't look like that though. Like, how do you get that lean? Right. And so I had like a meal plan. And I say this with as much truth as I can add to this. 
is that I literally was on the most restrictive diet I think anybody could ever be on. Not only did I have a meal plan of like, you can only eat this. I was not allowed to have any condiment. Let me repeat that. Mm -hmm. Any condiment. (laughs) So no seas, no like salt and pepper. I was allowed to have at that time, Mrs. Dash. Mm. It was so old school, bro science. Yeah. I couldn't have like sugar-free ketchup, none of that stuff. Like no sodium. Like it was just ridiculous stuff. I wasn't even allowed supposed to have, I think back then it wasn't so much Splenda, but it was like anything aspartame, but I still drank all the Diet Coke in the world. And that's actually what got me hooked on coffee because I'm like, oh my God, if I can't have anything else, I need to drink something with flavor. And I was drinking so much diet soda because I was so fucking hungry all the time that I was just like, my, my, my guts were always in a mess. But for me, it was so unsustainable. So that first time around, I got as lean as I could. I competed and I was told I'd never do well or whatever. And that was fine, but I did my thing. But that week after my very first show was an absolute disaster. I've never been a binge eater ever, except for that week. I legitimately could not stop eating. No one could explain to me. They just told me that's normal. I'm like, this is fucking normal to feed myself when I still had, I had acid in my throat and I would still be eating and eating and eating. I gained 20 pounds. I shit you not in one week. And because of that accelerated weight gain, so we don't know if it's fat or whatever, but I could barely, like you could touch my skin. And if I had a a needle, I could have burst. I could have just spewed with water because I'm so, my skin was so tight. Yeah. And you were so depleted before that. Right. So, and I'll tell you this right now, if I could go back what I would have wanted is to gain body fat, not water. Cause that water weight is horrendous. Uncomfortable. And so like, okay, so I'm I'm eating. And then I'm back on the treadmill, eating back on the treadmill. Like it was just, a, it was so terrible because everything I did that guilt and like, I can't believe I can't stop eating. Nobody can tell me why I'm just going to do this because this is normal. All the bodybuilders do it. I would be on that treadmill and I have actually suffered some micro, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like some major, major micro tears, deep, whatever tears to my shins. I couldn't even walk. Like I legitimately was breaking my shins. And I tore my, like not my, not entirely, but I had a bicep tendon that just, cause I thought I could lift and do all the things. And I was in such a bad place. That's where my relationship with food really changed. And then I thought to myself, what do I do to get back? And so of course I went contest prep diet again. And it was just this relationship with food that I would just eat clean, do whatever I had to do. And then overeat on the weekend, like cheat meals, every, it used to be a cheat meal. And then it became a cheat day. And I kid you not guys. I would be like, cause my husband worked in the, in the bars at the time. And I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to take him food at midnight on uh, Saturday night. Cause Sunday was our cheat day. I would go to McD's and I would buy the cheeseburgers at 12.01 AM. And I would buy not one, I'd be buying 10 and I would take them to the bar and I'd let the guys eat, but I would be eating too. It was crazy. And I would eat from basically morning So fucking, I was like in bed comatose from so much food. And then I would be like in the gym, just overcompensating with exercise. Mm -hmm. So that was not healthy Mm -mm. years later though. And I fought through like my own body image issues and all that kind of stuff. And I realized after coaching now, and every time I, it's like therapeutic coaching, I swear, like it just, the things that you don't want to admit the struggles you've had come out when you're a coach, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I realized how messed up it was with me and exercise. It wasn't food and binging. It was if I did overeat, 
I was in the gym and it would be a constant thought of like, okay, I need to, I got to go do cardio. I got to train. I got to do this. I got to like, it was just such a terrible place. But when I competed from 2011 to 2014, the first year, cause I did back-to-back shows, I had to put on weight. So I gained, I went from like 110 pounds, 114 pounds actually to about 140 pounds um, in about six months. It was hard. And it was like really not sitting well up here. And then I died it down, but it was harder. And then I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I didn't understand metabolic adaptations. I didn't understand my, you know, being a leaner individual, any of that stuff. Like I did not know enough about it. And it just, every single time I dieted, it was harder and harder, more cardio, more this, more that. But from the time I dieted, so my brain operates in, as soon as there's a caloric deficit, it shuts off my, my cycle. So I experienced that even the first time around way, the first time I competed, but I didn't know any different. So in 2011, I didn't have my, my cycle. And just when I went back to go like, and this is how it works and I didn't recognize it, but just as I was about to start dieting for my next show, I got spotting and or a little bit of my period. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want that. So I started dieting again. And then Cause I was consistently really super lean still. Cause I did reverse dieting and all these things to help myself. What I thought was helping myself. I didn't have my cycle for a very long time, but I ignored it. I ignored it. I did not realize how detrimental that was to my body mm-hmm. and what my dieting and my level of lean was doing, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of uh, stress on my body from my exercise, everything. Cause keep in mind, not only am I low calorie, I'm low body fat, but I'm in the gym seven days training and then i'm doing two to two and a half hours of cardio every day near the end your body was stressed the fuck out by the time like and i didn't know this until actually like when i started to reverse myself out of my last show and part of the reason why i believe i'm where i'm at and my success is now for maintenance when i started my reverse i was curious i'm like i wonder where i started my diet and ended with my coach because he's amazing. And I would never take this from him because he's actually moved, you know, he's, he's a retired IFBB, but he's also gone from like meal plans to understand doing macros with his clients. And we've been OGs of bodybuilding for a very long time. Neither one of us did that. But when I calculated it, like uh, two weeks out from my show, I was down to a thousand calories, 110 pounds. It made sense for my body weight, but the work I had to put in with the energy expenditure, like the cat, like the, the cardio and all that, it was terrible. Like it was mm-hmm. hard. Right. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I didn't have my cycle for almost seven years. And that was not enough of a red flag for me. It was terrible because it took, I reverse dieted, but I actually didn't get my cycle back until I think it was like 2016 ish where I got like one little bit of, uh, of, uh, spotting, but it took a couple more years and 2020 when COVID happened was the first, cause I walked away from CrossFit and did all that stuff. And just started training at home. Stress was off my body and I did not recognize that. And I'm coaching people at this time. I didn't recognize it myself because I was so entrenched in like what it's supposed to be versus what it actually should be for health. Um, because I was, I was, I grew up in the bodybuilding Mecca, right? Like, Oh, that's normal. That's normal. It's normal. So, but I was, I was really unhealthy. Losing your period is not healthy. I had a messed up relationship with food. I thought about food 24 seven dieting and post contest. No one schools you on the post contest prep blues, which is my, I do help people with that. I talk more people off the stage than I've ever helped people on stage. It really is disordered. And those who compete and do well at it, We'll never tell you they're, they're demons. You know, I'm so glad you say this because I watch people 
that I know go through this process. And every time they get off the stage, they go through this period of like intense and they talk about it. Like I'm depressed. I, they have like body image issues. Like one person I'm not going to name names that I follow, you know, she's three months after contest prep, she's like doing another deficit again. And I'm like, Ooh. you know what I mean? Back and I'm like, back shows. That's yeah, insane. I'm like, this is, but she's doing a deficit, not going into a show just because she said she did her reverse wrong. Um, and she wants to lean out more. And I'm like, um, Okay. And it makes me feel bad because she's an amazing person. And I just see her going through, I could see it. That she's stuck in it. That she's in it. And she's had to be having these body dysmorphia issues every time she steps off the stage. Like she shouldn't be going into another, she talks about losing her period and everything like you just did. Well, here's the problem that I have with it. So even when I was uh, competing and I was dieting, uh, I was a contest prep coach I had a client that came to me and I didn't, I wasn't aware. Cause even back then, like I didn't do intake forms like I do now. And I guess like everybody else, like, you're just like, Oh, let's just help this client. Like this is notoriety. Like, you know, people are going to get to know me because I'm a contest prep, uh, you know, uh, coach or whatever. And I remember her halfway through her, her prep. And I'm like, there something was not right with her. Like she just seemed to be struggling a lot. And she's like, Oh, I forgot to tell you, but I'm bulimic. And I was just like, you're what? Oh shit. And I'm just like, Whoa. And why are we doing this show? Like that was a rep. Like I knew immediately. I'm like, do mm-hmm. you think that this is going to help you? Like you have a fucked up relationship with food already. And now we're making it, we're compounding this disorder dating mentality. Yeah. She did finish, but her rebound is what we call it was not great. And so like, even for me, like I can't stop you from eating the foods. I can't control how your body is going to respond to your deficit and your recovery but back then we didn't have the tools. Like I didn't like, and even now reverse dieting is definitely it's evolved, but it's not reverse dieting. It's just simply putting yourself into maintenance for me though. I recognize that I did prolong my deficit a little bit longer, even though I was intentionally reverse dieting because I, and this is where I will share this Beth. I was not ready to see my body different. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that because gaining 20 pounds taught me a lot of fucking lessons. That I am not going to be that person who sits in my pantry and eats all my, all, because I'm uncontrollable. I want to understand why this is such a, uh, you know, so, this happened to me. And so I started to give myself permission to have the food, but a lot of contest prep clients don't have a coach to the, to support them with the aftermath. It's an absolute, and I don't, and there could be the best coaches in the world that will disagree with me and uh, kudos to them, but you are doing a disservice to your clients when you do not educate them on post-contest because it is an absolute, it it is the blues. It is like having a baby. It is like getting married. You are feeling like lost and don't know what to do. And you are so fucking hungry and you don't know why. You don't know why. You don't know the mechanisms. And then you get a coach who's like, just reverse diet for four weeks. And I've been there. And every client that I had successfully do four weeks was great. Four weeks, they're done with me. They forgot everything that we were working towards. But I also recognize that old me would have been like, yeah, let's, let's take the steps because you have a, they weren't ready to gain the weight, but at the end of the day, they didn't understand that. So even though I'm expressing to them that we need to get these calories up, they were so afraid of weight gain that they wouldn't listen, but then they would binge. And so like, for me now, it's just like, let's try and get that up a little bit faster and understand that weight gain is going to occur. Mm -hmm. that you cannot sustain this. And if you've lost your period, what we have to do is get you a little bit fatter and we have to get those calories up. Mm -hmm. Accept it. 
but we're not educated on that. And instead we're like, this is how you have to look, especially if you're competing and this is what you have to do. And then you get the irresponsible coaches out there that will just feed you all the bullshit about all the performance enhancers. And that's fine. Each to own. I don't judge anybody. However, that doesn't help the situation if you're not educating them on what's going on with their metabolism and everything else. Right. So yeah, it's not a great scenario. And yeah, I had lots of people say, Hey, I love your abs or God, you look amazing. I'm like, great. And they're like, can we have your diet? I'm like, fuck no. Mm -hmm. You you don't want this. (laughs) No. And I actually had this conversation with somebody the other day and they said, well, would you consider bodybuilding a lifestyle? I'm like, no, it's a sport. Mm -hmm. You prep for a sport. Mm -hmm. For someone to say this is a lifestyle, I disagree. Lifestyle includes enjoyment. Right. Mm -hmm. I was not happy. Even though I look back and think I navigated it well, like you have the blinders on so deep that you don't recognize it. And I had girls. And even though we didn't talk about dieting per se and stuff like that, because I I was aware of that, I was not the mom that they should have had when I was dieting for four years straight. It just wasn't, that wasn't me. And we look back and I think about it now. And when I talk to clients about it, I'm just like, damn, I don't regret it. It was a lot of lessons learned, but you're not healthy. And I don't give a shit what anybody says. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's and it should be treated as a sport. And it's it's funny because I think bodybuilding is starting to catch on that people are starting to get rubbed the wrong way with bodybuilding because now they've introduced wellness divisions, right? Which I don't know what your opinion is on that. I don't have one because I don't know enough about the sport. But is is the wellness division, is that actually like a healthier way to do it? Because I think that more normalizes just a more normal physique. Yeah. So I had a client that two years ago, she wanted to compete and I gave her the the song and dance about it. I was basically like, cause we did a, a transformation. So we, she want, her goal was to do a photo shoot. And so we got her to a certain point, she did her photo shoot. And then she's like, well, I think I should compete. And I'm like, what makes you think you should compete? Like, let's, I, I want to hear your reasons because I'll give you my feedback. And it was really about like, well, I think I need to prove to myself I can do this. I'm like, but you don't have to compete to do that because here's what's required. What you did for this photo shoot doesn't even tap into what we have to do to be a bodybuilder, to be competitive, because here what ha- here's what happens. You're judged. So if you're okay with being picked apart and being told that you need to tighten up here and you need to do this here and you don't even have the physique to bodybuild, why are you up there? Like you're in the wrong category. I said, cool, we can do that. But here's what will also happen after right? So then she's like, well, how about this wellness division? So the wellness division, and depending on the, um, I know here in Canada might be different, but I think they have to write a story. So tell them about their transformation, all that kind of stuff. And it is definitely a softer, more gen pub look, but I still don't think that you should do it. And here's why you have an external validation of somebody judging you on how you look and you will be compared to other competitors on the stage. So she sent me pictures And she's like, I had a girl backstage that says I should do figure. And I'm like, and, and let me guess, she works for the association and, or she's competing in it. And she needs to help you validate that you should be there. When in fact, is she going to share her journey with you? Cause I bet you, it hasn't been all that, you know, a bed of roses. I said, you have to be very careful with how people talk to you and approach to you, you know, approach you about this because the journey is not what everybody says it is because they won't talk about the shit that they go through. They only paint the pretty picture like every other fucking social media outlet. Right. So right. I don't know if wellness is the right direction because I've even been, and I was a vice president of the association here in Alberta for bodybuilding. And there we had like a category where you could do a transformation as well. But then we had the odd 
physique athlete because there's different categories. So you have bodybuilding physique and then you um and then you got bikini and all that figure and then you got men's divisions and stuff like that. But we had uh and you have your intros and we have our MC read it out. And I know there were a couple of people who are like, I'm on my weight loss journey. And I'm like, you're using a bodybuilding show for a weight loss journey. Completely different. It's not the same. So wellness, I think it's really they're trying to empower people. And I could be wrong and people might hate me for saying this. I just don't think you should be pursuing these physique competitions because you are being judged. And unless you're ready for that, because even my client was like, I got, I think she got, I want to say she got first or second. I can't remember, but of three people. So how would she felt if she got third place? Like how is she comparing herself now to the other people? Right. And that's it. And even for me as a competitor, I was always a top five until I changed categories. So to make weight, I could do it. I could be a bodybuilder. But when I switched categories to physique, I was competing with women at my same height, but they could be 20 pounds heavier than me. And I I got last call-outs for the very first time in my entire bodybuilding career. And in that moment, I remember texting my husband backstage, looking around at the, the auditorium, and I'm like, I'm way out of my league and I'm done. I will not resort to what I have to in order to get to that level, number one. And number two, I'm fucking tired of breaking down what I thought was an, at one point in time, a strong, healthy body. And so I just don't think even those categories should be there. I just, I don't know. That's my personal opinion because yeah, your, your validation remains in the judges and people yeah. in the audience. I'm not a fan of bodybuilding. Uh, this is why I like powerlifting and strongman because you're competing against yourself for the most part. Granted, you're still having to go against other people, but at the end of the day, you're still put competing against yourself to beat your own numbers that you've put up um, and to get strong as you as, as fucking possible. And I think that's, that's what really um, intrigues me about powerlifting and that type of sport. Well, and for me, like, it really got to a point where I was just tired of it. Right. And so, um, and I feel like bodybuilding is quite selfish. So I, I kind of like leaned into the CrossFit world for a bit. I like the performance aspect, but it's still CrossFit has evolved into aesthetics. I think CrossFit is a breeding ground for disordered habits. Yeah. And so I'm not afraid to say me, that. Like I had people approach me because there was a couple of people in my local box that were in amazing shape. And they're like, oh, I want to look like her. And I'm like, yeah, but she's here eight hours of the day. Like you have to understand that she's trying to fuel her body for performance. And unless you're willing to eat at her level and train at her level, you're not ever going to look like her. Number one, because you're not her. And number two, you, you do not commit. So you have to stop. But I know, Matt, that in the CrossFit world and what I've seen, is that that's part of the problem. They see the aesthetics. They don't understand the nutritional aspects. They also don't understand what can be happening behind closed doors and CrossFit as well. Um, like every sport, there's always, there's always that side. But it is even those who are genetically gifted and do take you know anything to enhance their performance or whatever, they still have to show up. And I'm even in bodybuilding, I don't take anything from anybody who's even taken anything, like I said, because you don't just take a steroid or whatever, and just grow, you still have to show up and, and have the stimuli. But at the end, no matter how you look at it, you have to commit to the nutrition. And at the time, the lifestyle of the competitive nature, it's like I heard Wayne Gretzky say on a podcast with Will Arnett and the guys on SmartList, when he talked about being a professional hockey player, they asked him like, what would you say to the person who wants to play around that, you know, around that kind of like question? And he's like, you got to commit. Like I lived and breathed hockey my entire career, 
I said, no, I did the, you know, I showed up for practice. I did this. I went to bed on time. Like he, t- he talked about all the things he did. And it's the same thing when you look at a powerlifting competition, bodybuilding competition, CrossFit, it doesn't matter. You have to be willing to be that athlete. Mm-hmm. You have to identify. That's your, your entire identity. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. Like, I think I agree with you. Like I moved away from the whole like aesthetics and then CrossFit kind of like it was more performance, but now that I'm like, I'm, I'm just not involved in CrossFit either. I just want to be a recreational athlete and be healthy. I'm perimenopausal moving into probably menopause soon. <laughs> and so I'm just like, what can I do to feel good every single day? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, oh it's yeah. been so awesome uh, talking to you, Brandy. You're so fun and easy to talk to. I fucking love you, by the way. I feel like all I did was talk about myself. This, no. Well, that's you- why you're here. Well, and also you applied your own personal <laughs> stories to, you know, how it relates to your clients that you've worked with and yeah. how the general population can relate to it too, which is, yeah. I mean, pre- it's practical fucking experience and that's what matters. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and really what I, and, and I would like to leave this with the audience. It's like, here's the thing that I believe in because I've seen all walks of life and I've been on this earth long enough to see it. And I've been in this industry long enough. Like I said, I feel like I'm an OG is that. We have to learn to zoom out and really figure out what it is that we want, but understand that you can love your body and not make it make any changes. You can make these changes and, and be fine. It's just understanding that how you approach each situation as an individual does fucking matter for long-term success. If you choose to go extreme that is on you and you better fucking own those choices because the result is not going to be what you actually thought it was going to be because it's not sustainable. But if you actually took a pic, like zoomed out and be like, okay, so where was I, where am I now? And where do I want to go? If you can actually look back and see what you've done and what you'd like to change, you are going to see that for the life for a lifetime. But it's the willingness to, like I said, like you have to be willing to do the work And, you know, at the end of the day, there's no magic pill. There's no fucking magic solution, anything. There's no detox or freaking protein powder you can take that's going to make this all like just happen. I've been down the block, around the block, and I'm still working on my own shit. And I've been here a long time. That's it. There we go. Thank you, Brandy. Brandy, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you um, if they want to connect with you? My thing is like Instagram and I kind of dabble a little bit in TikTok. I'm not really like 100%, but it's Motivate Be Fit. Do okay. not spell it with a B-E, drop the E because it's not in there. And yes, one day I'm going to change that. But we'll, right tag now, you, right? we'll tag you appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Instagram is where I'm at. And then um, my website's the same and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I'm hanging out there. Awesome. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you so Thank much. You. It was so fun having you. I will see you around on the old Insta. Oh, for sure. See you, Brandy. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you 